This is the Kevin Prendeville Show podcast. Wherever or however you are listening, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Republic, or iTunes, this is the full show edited without breaks. You can watch the show live weekdays at 7 a.m. Eastern, 4 a.m. Pacific, or 6 a.m. Central Time. Happy, happy Friday. It is March 6th, 2020, and we have made it finally to Friday. Man, Nashville, you've been through a lot this week. And I'm not kidding. Uh, We had, um, in addition to the coronavirus, our first confirmed case here in Tennessee, we had an unexpected tornado just rip through uh, Germantown and the surrounding areas up to Mount Juliet and in Lebanon, Tennessee. It's... it. And it looked like a war zone. It was horrible. There was no warning, no newscasters saying over and over again, oh, here's Superstorm Charlie. I don't know. I'm throwing that name out. And that's going to it's gonna kill us all. You know, you need to uh, eat, you know, you need to stock up on all these supplies. It just came out of nowhere. Incredible. We have all this technology, right? We have all of this forward predicting models and all this stuff, and we are still subject to the whims of nature. It's crazy, isn't it? But out of it, there's a silver lining. And that's how we're going to start today's Kevin Prundeville show, with a thoughtful, hopeful, and prayerful opening salvo. So as I said in the opening intro of today's show, there was, uh, unfortunately... Um, a tornado that caused about 20 people to lose their lives here in Nashville this week. And it destroyed even more homes. And and it's always hard to explain uh, a tragedy like this. Because we live in an age, I think, where people want to believe that the world is good in the sense that everything happens for a reason. I think this is Often a saying that's most prevalent when a tragedy strikes like this. Uh, Side note, it's probably the worst thing to say at someone's funeral, though, I believe, is, well, everything happens for a reason. Like, somebody, somebody's dead, that's, that's, are you saying that they're, they were bad, and that's, it's, so it's a good thing they're dead, you know? Um, But, uh, all joking aside, as, as, um, I think as, as poorly worded as, uh, and as clunky as it sounds, you know, it's not a new theory to say that everything happens for a reason and that everything is good. In fact, there was a, a prominent German philosopher in the 18th century who lived uh, around the same time as Voltaire, and uh, he, he went by a name of Gottfried Leibniz. And Leibniz's theory was that, well... God is made, man is made in the image of God, and God plays a prominent role in the events of of humanity, and of course Christians at the time believed this, and and we still believe it in many cases, although now we may say the word universe or um, what have you, the prevailing theory was that or, or Leibniz's theory was because God can't do bad things that all things are good. That they don't just happen for a reason, but that that reason is good. Because a life based on reason, and this goes back to 
the rationality movement of the middle 1600s up to about the the enlightenment period that because rationality is in itself good and and reason is good and therefore anything that is done for a reason is done for a positive one so voltaire struck back at this theory pretty hard in his play uh, called candide and if you picked up the uh, book version of it um, it, it's, it's one of my, I think you can probably get it for free at this point on Amazon or, or maybe your local library or something of those, if those still exist. Um, it's one, it's, it's honestly, some parts are rather funny and I don't mean like they were unintentionally funny. Like Voltaire is actually a funny guy in his day and not everything, but some of the stuff has translated forward. And even though it's in French, even well, translated from French, it's it's still funny. It's one of my favorite books. But he hits back at this theory, and sometimes the satire, if you don't know the context of it, is a little lost. And, you know, obviously 300-year-old satire uh, about contemporary issues of the, of the author usually don't carry over well. You know, um, uh, there are jokes that Shakespeare makes in, in Much Ado About Nothing that relate to um, events that had happened in the year, but you know, unless they were on a woodcut or something. Nobody knows what he's talking about. Another topic for another day. Regardless, and this is all in service of this point I want to make, Voltaire struck back at this theory and essentially said that he created the scenario in which an earthquake hit Portugal and it killed 50 children and maimed 100 women. And Voltaire had Leibniz look at the death and destruction and it burned a whole town. It caused fires that burned a whole town to ashes. And he had the character that was uh, essentially playing um, Leibniz. He had this character say, oh, well, it must have happened for a good reason because, um, you know, because there could have been a murderer in that town. There could have been... Uh, in fact, they were going to hang someone for, uh, for for heresy against the church, and now they're all dead. So it happened for a good reason, without taking into account that the loss of life and the tragedy that 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 befell that reason. You know, you can't you can't say, well, so it's okay that those people died. And it is a slippery slope. You know, as as, as a wicked and evil man once said, a hundred dead men is just a statistic. So my point here is that to say that this tragedy in Nashville took place and that it all happened for a reason is one I think that is a little naive or it looks at the world in a way that I don't think that the the world really ought to be viewed. You know, I think, and too often, we as Christians try to confuse God with Santa Claus. God is just. God is good, but in that goodness, he is just, which, mean, which means, you know, he's, can, he condemns people to hell. Why? Because they didn't follow his word. Why? Because they, don't, they didn't put his faith in him for a whole host of reasons that are laid out in the Bible. That does not make God bad. That makes whoever sinned against him in the wrong. 
Now, all this is to say that the world is a harsh place, and it still is, and the forces of nature we still must reckon with. It's not a good thing, nor is it something that happened for a reason, that 20 people lost their lives. And I'm deeply sorry for the people who were affected by this tragedy. People lost homes. And we have in Nashville something that I have not seen before, especially, especially coming from the north. And it's funny because people on the coast really like to make fun of those in the south. You know, whenever you want to make someone sound dumb in the U.S., you give them a southern accent. It's, you know, people will call you backwards if you're if you're in Tennessee, if you're from the coasts. And I can speak to this with credibility. You know why? Because I lived in the northeast for almost 20 years. I grew up there. But you know what? I, in this tragedy in Nashville that ripped through Mount Juliet, that destroyed parts of the city, you know how much looting there was? None. But you know how, how many pints of blood were donated? Nearly incalculable. Whole crates and truckloads of water. People buying water off Amazon and, and shipping it to donation centers. So we don't even know, in some cases, who's buying what. You've got um, uh, uh, feminine care products, diapers, um, whatever, uh, baby formula, food, anything that people would need after being displaced. You've got to go into all these places, people spending entire days and companies, local companies pitching in and uh, even country, you know, companies that aren't required to, um, you know, like insurance companies that 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 took took from their profits to help support the community. You can't say that for every place. Heck, when the uh, when the hurricanes went through New Jersey in 2012, there there was a a ton of looting. And, and I think that speaks to the culture of, of the cultural differences of some of these places that in the Northeast, it's kind of a, uh, well, I have a friend uh, who, who still lives up there and he says, uh, you know, you kind of, kind of, you got to put up your bleep shield. Um, you can uncensor that if you're an adult. And essentially that it's such a dog eat dog world, fast paced culture that you kind of, even when a tragedy strikes, you still have that barrier up. And it's just not productive when people need help. So, you know, I love Nashville. I love the wide sidewalks. I love the, the fact that I feel like I could, when I'm walking around the city, like I own the thing. Because, you know, there's there's just... There's plenty of room. People are friendly. It's like a, it's like a, it's a big city with a small town feeling, and you know, it's not that much of a hassle to drive around in the city. I, I really do. I love it for all those qualities. But I am more in love with the people of this city, and with the culture of this city, and I pray to God that that never changes. Now I want to wrap this opening salvo up, which has been uh, rather rather long here, with a story uh, that I heard on the radio. And so I, as I'm driving around after this tragedy, I'm listening to the radio, and the talk show host received a call off the air 
from somebody who was looking for a man who had left his cell phone with him. And the guy who called in was so emotional that he could hardly explain what was going on. And the reason that he was so emotional was this man saved his life. And he doesn't even know his name. So the story goes that he, this man and his fiance were woken up in the middle of the night by their house being torn apart by nature, just absolutely ripped uh, asunder. And his fiance gets buried under rubble, and he's not strong enough by himself to, to, to unbury her at this time. And she's, she's beaten up, and she's bleeding, and, and there's a good chance that she's not going to make it. And th this guy that he doesn't know, who is a, a veteran, we know that much about him, a, vet, uh, with a veteran, we don't know if he even has wartime service or what, just that he at some point was in the military. Um, and he is, this guy gets out of his truck and starts helping dig this person out. And the, the, this guy's fiance gets pulled out of the rubble and this veteran knows from, from I'm sure, his training, um, puts a tourniquet around her wound, stops her from bleeding out. And this, this guy's able to take his fiance to the hospital, and you know what? She, she lived. And this, this man would have, though I'm sure his residence um, was destroyed, his significant other, could have also been lost. But because of this guy who came, saved them, and left, didn't even give his name or anything, just went off to help more people, decided to stop. They're both still alive today. Doesn't that just fill your heart with hope for the rest of us that one day we, we would do that for someone who has been affected by tragedy? And I know the topics we're going to talk about today are not uh, are not to the same emotional level as that story, but they are important. But never forget the human element in anything. Because these people in Nashville have shown us and, and the rest of the world, if we share their stories, just how to behave when it all comes crashing down. So in the next segment, we're going to actually jump across the pond to the United Kingdom as their slide continues, um, according to the uh, FTSE 100. And we're going to relate that to the, the Dow Jones and its slide. And lastly, we're going to come back to a couple of regulations in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Stay tuned. Well, welcome back. It is, uh, this, as the sun comes up here on a Friday, um, it really makes you wonder about the future of the market. And as we can see in both the Dow Jones and the FTSE 100, um, not so great. You know, I think the, the, the both are poised for a, a loss today um, as numbers from larger corporations continue to be getting uh, revisions. And... There's not really a whole lot um, that that can be done about it. You have um, you have 
central banks that are going to undoubtedly uh, inject money into the economy, and of course that will affect inflation and the value of the dollar, but the unfortunate reality is that uh, sometimes there's nothing you can do. You know, you can try to reinflate a bubble all you want, but if the market needs to have a correction, it's going to have a correction. Um, and there's no human force that can that can stop that. And uh, look, the market doesn't lie. You know, if 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 projections are not what they're going to be for some of the top companies um, that a, that an index or a market is based on, then it, you can't bail them out to the point where they're going to um, th- th- you're going to stop the, the the hemorrhaging until it comes to a natural point where the the reality and the projections meet and, and your market um, will then eventually rise again. But until that point occurs, there's not enough uh, that you can do. It's the great failure of Keynesian economics. Because if you have a government that tries to pump money into a market or a system... Um, in order to, to artificially reinflate the bubble, one of two things is going to happen. The uh, economy will make a slow recovery, as we saw after 2008 under President Obama's watch, will make a, a very slow recovery as the real economic growth is not there and the public is not ready to uh, and reinvest back into the market. Um, or you're going to have... Um, and the second point is you're going to have a bubble that's going to have to burst at some point. It's not going to be able to be inflated forever, no matter how much you cut the prime rates, no how much, no matter how much real estate crack, known as the the prime rate, you attempt to to deliver. At some point, if you don't have the job base and your government economic policy doesn't breed natural competition then you're you're poised for a correction and sometimes you're 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 posed for a correction anyways if companies if larger companies default on debt or need to restructure or if there's a a change in the market like the coronavirus and that's really what sparked a whole lot of this is because again you have a lot of we talked about this in february you have a lot of um construction that's backing up or construction orders that are are backing up because you have screws and small parts that are really, uh, because of where they're manufactured in China, um, they're stopped or they're slowed up. Um, you know, you've got uh, the unfortunate reality that other um, parts that we don't think of, synthetic parts that are produced in China are, again, either backed up or orders that they're going to be fulfilling now um, are going to be back orders, so you have the opportunity cost from that, and it's just going to prolong the recession no matter how long, or brief correction, excuse me, um, no matter how how much money you attempt to, to pump into the market. And this is the problem with financial markets in, in general, is that you have to have something to gauge the economy and the general market. I, I understand that. But basing it on these global companies and then still having a, a, a national ticker, essentially, um, 
it's a little bit disingenuous in the fact that uh, you aren't necessarily gauging, especially in the U.S., for instance, you aren't necessarily gauging the health of the the nation itself at, at this point. You're gauging the, the overall economies of the world, and the overall world economy isn't terrible. It's not great um, when you factor in, you know, developing nations and countries that are behind. Um, but the U.S., for instance, is, is still very strong. You've got a great job market right now in the U.S. You've got outstanding uh, a boom because of uh, a lot of tax cuts and in the states and in the individual states that we've seen these tax breaks and tax cuts you've got the same thing a great job base which increases the demand for real estate which increases real estate sales which creates jobs from there and this whole positive cycle starts it allows people to create business and more business creates more jobs and more jobs means more people working which means more money in the economy this is pretty simple stuff but you know companies who have grown and i'm not it's it, i'm not against companies growing to a global size but by the time they have um you know the they are affected by every little thing somebody sneezing in china is going to affect their outlooks and you know if their outlook um drops then you know what their their stock price drops because they're not going to make the profits that they thought they were and because of where the financial industry has put grandma and grandpa that's people's money that you're putting at risk you know people have lost untold amounts of wealth this week why because their money's in the market and the market isn't doing so great right now but then you have to factor in opportunity costs and because your opportunity cost uh from your market loss is is growing and expanding here then not only you're going to have the uh compounding effect reset but, but the uh, you're never going to be able to get this money back. It's the unfortunate reality of, of how the market works. And so we need to come up with, with, with some solutions to still earn enough to outpace inflation and some of the other market factors that we need to outpace while at the same time not having the risk of the stock market. And we should also pay attention to um, a faulty economic philosophy. And I, I want to point to a small, small article here uh, all the way from my home state of Massachusetts in which they are regulating um, they, they're regulating Uber and Lyft to the point where they're trying to get them to be more uh, to be regulated on the same level that, that taxi companies are regulated. And on the surface it sounds fine um, because for those who are uh, ride sharing or, or whatever you call the, the politically correct term for those who are employees of Uber and Lyft, you know, for your insurance, your risk goes way up if, if you know, you're driving people around and sometimes you even need a commercial policy in order to, in order to cover yourself if you're in the limbo between, you know, you're not driving anybody around and you're also on the clock where you're personal policy isn't going to cover it because you're you're working and uber and lyft aren't going to cover it because you're not driving anybody for them so in order to cover that gap you know you need to get um you need to get a special coverage and this these regulations in massachusetts are going to make it harder for that 
insurance niche to cover what it needs to cover. And it's going to force people more onto commercial policies, which cost a lot more and may not cover what people need. But it's just, it's the political philosophy of, you know, um, trying to force everyone to, onto an equal playing field. You know, Uber and Lyft, even though they're not making a whole lot right now, are still market disruptors to a point. There's And their staying power should really be determined based on, um, you know, their viability. But there's a reason they're putting cap companies out of business. And it's not the government's job to force to force the market's hand and say you can't invent this because you know we want cab we don't want cab companies going out of business. Uh, I mean, what are we gonna were we gonna force block, uh, people to, to to rent videos just so Blockbuster could stay in business? Were we gonna force people to not buy cars because we wanted horse and buggies to stay in business? Uh, this is just bad practice. Any regulation that tries to that tries to force the market away from ingenuity is 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 foolish because you're only really uh, stemming progress. People will adapt. Uh, people will find new jobs if the the cab companies go under, or there's going to be a market adjustment. Hotels had to adjust when Airbnbs came out, but the hotel business isn't uh, through the floor. The hotel business. Um, just has a, a lesser share of the market. And I'm sure there are people who uh, who still only take cabs or who are against ride-sharing for whatever reason. And so you know what? That's what they're going to do. It just means cab companies have a lesser share of the market. And all this comes back to, look, government should stay out of commerce as much as possible. Because... A good job, and, and and even from encouraging certain aspects of the market. I'm not one that's for corporate subsidies at all. So when the there's really two things and two points I want to make here. The first is personal on the on the personal side. We really should be in the financial industry, uh, helping people develop plans that don't put them in the market like this, so that we can avoid a lot of these unfortunate pitfalls. And the second. Um, uh, and the second point I want to make here is that the government really should stay out as much as possible of uh, the economy. And until the point where something becomes a monopoly of a certain industry, um, the government needs to stay out. Now, monopolies are inherently anti-capitalist, so even even a duopoly. So you need to – I understand you need to break those up in order to keep fostering competition. But other than that, there should be – uh, as little regulation as possible. Um, now, I'm not saying that you know we need to get rid of the the uh, FDA or, or or something like that, but um, the less bureaucrats, the better. Um, it, it, and to have you know some baseline standards is not a bad thing, but to the point where you're trying to to buy political favor, and because that's what it's about, you know, uh, to buy political favor with a certain sect of the populace by stemming innovation. In the long run, that probably doesn't buy you all that many votes, but you are hurting the progress of people who rightly deserve the profits from what they took the time to invent. So next, we're going to uh, uh, discuss a little bit more about the, the Fed and money injections, and we'll talk a little bit more about the inflations and bubbles and tumbling stocks. And from this, we're going to be able to see a clearer picture of some of the dangers going forward. 
Well, as we're running out of time here, um, I do want to finish off the second segment, second segment, if I could talk right, um, <clears throat> talking about a little bit more about the levers and the mechanisms that uh, the Federal Reserve has to pull. And we've talked about the failure of, of Keynesian economics before and, um, and the fact that it wasn't always this way, that the that the dollar has a uh, such a power over over the world, the U.S. dollar, and uh, I want to I want to talk about how it could affect the real estate market, though, if um, if the Fed ever re revised their policy. That now they're out that we're at a one five five prime rate in order to keep um, interest rates artificially low. Um, it incentivizes a lot of people to take on a lot more debt. And there's nothing wrong with debt from a personal finance standpoint when it comes to being able to leverage what you have. But, and here's here's the, the big issue with that, um, because of the way student loans are structured, because of the way that uh, credit cards have been used, there's a lot more consumer debt, which isn't nearly as effective. That falls under the more the ugly, bad debt, kind of debt that you really probably shouldn't get too involved with um, that doesn't buy you an asset. Now, uh, that coupled with mortgages and 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 people who are lever leveraging themselves to buy more apartments and, and that kind of things for real estate investors, they can't, they, they, they've bought with the forward thinking that, that mortgage rates are going to stay right around two to, to five percent and they're right in the sense that you know the fed can't because of the national debt and the whole idea behind that is that if you inflate or, or if you deflate well i cannot talk it's too early in the morning and i've had my coffee right um but if you inflate the uh u.s dollar you pay back less of a value even though you've paid off uh, the amount agreed upon uh, therefore, the U.S. government doesn't have to spend as much on servicing the debt that they own. Now, the so the Fed can't re reverse that monetary policy, but what happens when, during a uh, market crash, in order to get people to reinflate the bubble, buy back into mortgages, what happens when they have to um, cut the prime rate again? Are we going to go into negative interest rates are we going to see mortgages at one percent which uh, you know uh, sound great but again you're taking on a bunch of debt and if the if companies aren't paying the dividends that uh that they are used to then uh, you know are we making the same uh, are we making the same on our money essentially because with with rate cuts comes a um can come a slower growth um in the market with rate cuts uh, you can see safer investments becoming not so safe which just forces more people into more volatile positions and the more volatile the position is the higher chance there is for social unrest when the market collapses and I think we can point to any radical uh, historical change of government and say that something was wrong with the economy and so uh, we ought to be careful here um, in, in really look at this coronavirus, not because it's going to start a recession, 
Um, but the fact that we are long overdue for a recession, and I don't think it's this virus that's going to start it, but, well, it could certainly be something in some other market. Maybe it's going to be the repo market or something of that ilk. And I hate to leave this uh, mess, this show that started off with a message of hope with a message of gloom and doom, but it is, it is important to note here that how we handle our personal finance in the coming decades is going to be very important to, to what the United States looks like in the future.